Welcome back to Dateline New Haven. Second segment is Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community ticks. One of the races in the headline, it's election season, folks, is this race for Secretary of the State. There are three candidates. There's Independent Party, Cynthia Jennings, Democrat Stephanie Thomas, and Republican Dominic Rapini from Brantford. He's here in the studio today. Dom, it's really great to meet you. Uh, Paul, likewise. This, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of your show. This is the first time I got to meet you, and um, I'm already delighted. But you just told me new information before we went on the air. You said we met in the 1980s. Well, I we, we may have been in the 1980s, but, you know, when I first started uh, being part of this, the, the personal computer revolution, I was uh, I was selling solutions to new Connecticut businesses. And um, one of my, and I very often I would take care of newspapers and, and print shops and, and documentation departments at large corporations. And the New Haven Independent, I, uh, I worked with your team to uh, bring you your first computers in 1980. Wow. So 1986, 89, the Independent was a for-profit print newspaper, weekly uh, paper. Now we're, yeah. uh, there was no Independent for decades, and now we're an online-only, um, and this radio station, uh, news outlet. But that uh, we would have met. This was on oh. Chapel Street at Chapel and yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. Computers were, you know, new-ish. We were, I think we'd stopped. Type in typewriters by then. I think you had Wayne terminals back then. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I replaced those with a, a Macintoshes and PC clones mostly. I and, can't tell you I remember this much is that you did a great job. Because <laughs> computers were a complete mystery even oh, yeah. now to me, and they really worked. Yeah. So thank it, you. Yeah, I think it was all about you know that's where I I, I really got my uh, I, I really developed my PhD in technology. You know, with having to do all that stuff on the ground before there was the internet to figure out how to do this. That's stuff. right. That's right. So, Dom, this actually ties into the Secretary of State race. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the very important issues about ballot access and stuff you guys totally disagree about, about, you know, voting rules. But a big part of the Secretary of State office is nuts and bolts. Mm. You have the database for small businesses, big deal. Like, you know, for us reporters, we're always looking up stuff, who's doing the companies. And you're maintaining the voter databases. You're you're helping the local registrars of voters um, function and – in running elections and maintain those voters. So as I understand it, you have made technology in the forefront of your platform. You have been, you said since the eighties, you've been working for Apple, right? Well, I've been in the industry at Apple since 97. So 26 years. Twice named salesperson of the year. That's right. Very and so tell me how that's going to translate to what kind of secretary state you'd be. What kind of technological changes do you want to make in the office? You know, so having been at, Paul, I think for that question, you know, haven't been in technology my whole, I mean, literally my whole life now. It's over three decades. You know, I've, you learn, you learn what works, what doesn't work. You when to use technology when sometimes you, you don't use technology, doesn't help you make things better. Uh, you learn, you learn, you become fluid in the language, right? And, and, uh, and you, you just, you get a high and, and mid-level view of everything that's important. This office is probably the most technologically demanding office in, in Hartford. Right there's a huge amount of database work. There's cyber uh, security uh, practices that have to be um, uh, set in stone and, and 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 fully fleshed out. And um, we have we run our election days on looked uh, on the hardware on you know on a tabulator that is quite frankly has been neglected for over you know well over decades. It should have been. And that's re- one thing you and Stephanie Thomas agree about, which is that we need new tabulators. Which you'd argue that your experience makes you in a better position to figure out which tabulators. Well, it's it's not just about finding the right tabulator, but it's having a technology plan, mm-hmm. right? So when those when you bring in a, a large-scale deployment of, of devices, right, which I've been doing my whole career, it doesn't does it doesn't end the day you you set them up and install them, right? That is just the beginning. In fact, as you 
bring in new technology, you have to have a plan for replacing it, right? It has to be a phase out, a phase Meaning in. Meaning if we're going to go to the new generation of tabulators, we also have to be thinking now we have about say, what comes next. That's long, right. What's the window? We have, to have, we have to start planning for eight years from now, which is probably the life, the average life of, of uh, digital devices. And um, so we have to start planning that. And we have to also have a service program. And we have to have a, uh, a forward deployment of devices for when they fail. Right, and we have to have training on the on the devices. We have I, <laughs> that's a big one, you know. So there's, you know, there's it's a whole plan, right? I'm just and, thinking from personal. Experience. And the same thing for software, right? You know, we have a CVRS software that's been failing for two weeks now. And what and kind of software? Th- I'm sorry, this is the registration software our registrars use to, you know, to bring in new voters to uh, re- uh, eliminate voters that are no longer active. And um, what, what's been hap- What's been failing? Well, it's becoming. It, it just goes down. Right. So imagine being a part time uh, registrar of voters, which is most of our people. You, you work 10, 20 hours a week and you go show in to do your job and you can't access the system for three hours. It's a colossal waste of time. And that's right? been happening. Oh, that's been happening. Absolutely. So what, what would you do about that? Well, what has to happen is I, I certainly know that for at least two or three years now, the Secretary of State's office has been trying to upgrade and replace the software. I don't know why it's taking so long, mm-hmm. uh, but it, that's a priority. Right. And the priority is to find out what they've done. Right, get it installed, get it working, and the day I get it working, and it's and we feel that it's uh, very reliable. That's the day we start re- thinking about how we're going to replace it with the with the next three version, mm. right? And that's really the the mentality that you got to bring to the office. I've seen it my whole career. You got to start planning. You got to be looking around corners, Paul. Right, if you're going to be able to fi- you know get ahead of the stuff. The way to think about it is, it, with technology, the time to fix a roof is when it's not raining. <laughs> so we constantly got to be doing uh, upgrades and, and involvements and planning the, the next the next best thing. Is it raining? Huh? Is it it's raining? Ra- it's pouring right now. Oh, okay, it's pouring. Yeah, the, with 118 of these tabulators uh, failed in a primary. Um, I saw it firsthand. Um, the, the what the our election workforce is going through right now is that they are absolutely scratching their heads. They're so upset about stuff. And yeah, maybe there's something new around the corner, but it, it should have been done two years ago. Right. So, so it's so hard getting people to work. I know in New Haven, in other parts of the country, there's concerns because the fighting over, like people feeling threatened at their home and things like that. In mm. Connecticut, it's very different. In my story, if you agree, it's just hard to hire people. It's hard to hire people for anything these days. You can say, come work a day from five in the morning till not eight or nine at night and show up because we've had people in New Haven who didn't show up. And it's not just New Haven. I mean, is this true? Are you seeing that, that it's the business, the all the business, you know, as I mean, with business groups around the state, that's all they're talking about. Is, so how would you, how are you going to get people to like work the polls? <laughs> well, well, working the polls is going to be a problem, right? We're going to talk about early voting later, right? Yeah. So imagine, and you're talking about the extra. Imagine how hard it is to get people to work one day. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get them work thirty days? Right. Right. It's going to be these are the, the practicalities that we have to consider, and um, and it's hard to work. I, I, you know, I think something happened during the pandemic where people just want to stay home. Um, it's, um, you know, it is a tight labor market. So people have a lot of choices. And so it's kind of, you know, our businesses have to work harder to pay people better or to have uh, more flexibility in the work hours. And and that's up to the private sector to do that. Um, my role as secretary of state is, uh, is to pull the business leaders together. And this, this quite frankly, is a little bit of a reimagination of the role mm-hmm. is to pull people together and, and, and take my three decades of business experience and say, what can I do to help you? Right. You know, I, I, I treat everybody like customers, Paul, which means you listen to them, they tell you what they need. And um, it, so it may be championing regulations or it may be giving them better data, which they need way better data than we have now. Um, you know, especially for 
right now, most businesses say, if I need to learn about some, uh, some important parts of Connecticut business and who's doing what, where, I have to go to the federal government. Right. And, well, so g- give me an example of that, Don. What kind of stuff can you find? Well, I'm just going to give you, I'm gonna give you an, an antidote, right? It's just, um, you know, imagine you're coming, you want to come to Connecticut, you want to go to Stanford, and you have an aerospace company. Mm. You know, well, you know, SIC codes are okay. What's SIC? Yeah, that's the, uh, the, the business type of business codes that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a national standard, right? But you really want to know who makes ball bearings in Stanford, right? See, there's no way to do that. Does that type of keyword, keyword search? So we got to take, we got to put better data out there. And uh, and we have to put that's data. so interesting. So you're thinking is so whenever I hear traditional conversations about what why we have the database, right? Partly so the public and the press find out who's really behind a company, who's responsible. Is it also about competitors or potential entrants into a market being able to assess the local economy? It seems like that's what you're saying. Yeah, there's all kinds of business motivations for looking at data, right? Sometimes it's to find other people that they can do business with. Is finding out oh, where potential the potential partners, right? Presidential partners. That's business to business marketing, right? That's so, what, so yeah. what would be an example of specific? Would it be better codes for what industry you're in, like aerospace? Would no. it be? No, we got to talk human, human language, keywords. You know, we got to, we have, we need to have a, a database. That, and, and, and what I think we'll, I'll do is I'll allow businesses to be able to model themselves, their own records. And so they'll own their record in our database so they can put in there the things they want, the keywords that are important, the things that they'll be searched on, just like you would do a keyword search on the internet, right? You want to make sure those keywords are in the database. And, um, and then you then I think we also want to be. And are you going to link that so that a Google search can then tap into like, like I was thinking myself, well, I'll go try it after we have this interview. Would I be able to find who's doing aerospace in Stanford? I'm guessing you might get some and not others. If the keywords that are on your database are also searchable yeah. as keywords on Google. Would that make it easier for that person so you wouldn't even have to go in the first place to find that right section on the Secretary of State? Yeah, it maybe it would. I know I have time, trouble sometimes with SEC, too, so Alexa Commission. I have trouble getting the right page. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. They have like five options on a page. You yeah. go to SEC or DMV, and then you kind of click on it, and then you don't even realize that below they've taken you to that page. Yeah, so the problem with Google, and Google is a very valuable tool. But if you, if you, if I relied on Google for these searches, I'd have to go. Everyone would have to wait. You have to through, search through so much junk. The paid, to get the, there. paid the paid searches, you know, and the searches that redirect you in a different direction, or it just happen to be something else with that word. Yeah, the, the, the other interpretations of the word. The database has got to be very singular function for you know for the business community, and um, and that's not something we do in isolation. We do that with the uh, the business community, right? We say, guys, you know, I'd like to pull together. I'll pull together, you know, CEOs from small and medium businesses and say, guys, what are the things you need to look up, and we'll tackle that first. And we'll probably do in parallel to what we have now and then roll out something that would be very robust and very user-friendly. We're talking to Don Rapini. He's the Republican candidate for Secretary of the State, who's the state's top elections official. And as we were just discussing, is the keeper of the commercial database for companies. So, Don, we're talking about practicalities. You're talking about one reason you would be against um, – you've come out against the measure on the ballot this year for early voting. And you talked about practical reasons, and you had others you've cited elsewhere, which we'll get to. And that would allow Connecticut to join most other states and allow you to go early to vote. Yeah. Um, if that passes in the referendum this year, will you submit the law or seek to have it submitted? Oh. Stephanie Thomas says January 1st, she's submitting that proposal. Well, you know, so listen, if it, the referendum passes, then my job is absolutely to, to give the best case scenario for Connecticut. Right. So, so means you'll support yeah, it, yeah. you'll try oh, to make it work well. Yeah, listen. You, you know, working at, at and technology, I, believe me, I'll, not everyone, not every one of my proposals gets uh, gets accepted. 
But you know what? We, you know, we're all professionals, and when we're done, we said, okay, we get behind it and make it work. So that's what, my what job. Is, so one of the issues you've raised is um, how long it should be, and then we'll get mm. the cost. So you've brought up October surprise. If it's thirty days, some states are voting now. I mean, Georgia's voting yeah. now. Someone's going to cast a vote about, let's say, the Herschel Walker stuff, right? And then it's, something might be revealed in a week, in two weeks, that make them more or less likely, or about Raphael Warnock and his church. So I asked that to Stephanie Thomas, and her response was, we're not talking 30 days. She supports a three- to five-day, and that we already have military people doing that window, and that it might not be a bad thing in politics if our campaigns weren't geared to October surprises last minute, if, in fact, you're spending months telling us, like Dom talking about, the database and mm. search words, and that it wouldn't be a negative. Wow. So I, we, we, we're going to separate on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Connecticut, we have our primaries in the middle of August, right? Early voting, um, certainly absentee ballot voting can happen as early as October 7th, right? So we have a very narrow window. To, and if we believe in the, the value of uh, voter engagement, then we need to, then voters should have as much time as possible to think about their candidates. Otherwise, they're just voting their tribes. And when I look at, she says it won't be 30 days. Really? How do we know that? The legislators who will vote on it haven't even been elected yet, mm-hmm. right? So we are at the mercy of, we're, quite frankly, the referendum waits written is a blank check, right? You're signing it, and, the, and someone's going to fill in a dollar amount later. Um, you know, for example, if it goes 30 days, that's a 15 to 30 million, uh, 15 to 20 million dollar unfunded mandate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with how many days it is, it's an unfunded mandate. Sal R.A. is listening in. I love Dom's solutions-based guy. I'm in favor of a state holiday for elections like Christmas. Then there's no excuse. Sal, thanks for your comment. You know, that's really, I actually think the most interesting questions about the voting stuff aren't liberal versus conservative. It's like that point right there. Other states do have the holiday. What do you think about that? You know, I thanks, Sal. Thank you, Sal. Is right. I am. Um, you know, my first reaction is that's we're asking Connecticut businesses to pay for people to, to go vote, right, or to have the time to go vote with no guarantee that's how they'll use that time, right? So I, it's not my first choice. Good day for saloons. Yeah, but but uh, but Stephanie Thomas said, what about people who work two jobs? Sure. Or people who have stuff that comes up last minute, have to go with a family member. And they just can't get the polls that day. So why not give the early, then why not give them three to five days so that they can vote? Well, yeah, assuming none of those things happen on the day they decide to go, which may be the last day, it's still problems don't exist. But, you know, we have, for example, let's say somebody has, gets sick at the last minute. We have a system of doing an emergency ballot, mm-hmm. right? If you're in a hospital, you can send someone in to get your ballot for you and bring it to you. That's the only time someone else can handle your ballot. And we can vote. So this, we, we take that into account. And I if, asked about the unfund mandate. She said, she would propose a bill that is not unfunded. She says there's revenue that's raised by the Secretary of State's office that now goes into the general fund, that there's an opportunity without raising taxes to have the fund go back to that office, and that she would definitely not make it an unfunded mandate. Is your answer, Dom, based on your last answer, that that might be what she wants, but the legislature is a separate animal yeah, and they'll yeah, set I'm the saying, rules? I'm saying that's, you know, hope is not a strategy, right? I mean, <laughs> it elected a president in 2008. Sorry? Hope was the word that. Oh I'm no! Yeah, about. yes, You're right. That's a, it's a slogan, but not a strategy. So I, I, I'm very practical. I need before I sign up for something, I want to know exactly what we're signing up for. Um, I certainly want the Hartford to t- pay for basic infrastructure, right? But then the municipalities are, you know, they're always talking about how they're they, they don't have the money. And if we're we're talking ten million, fifteen million dollars, that's a lot of money to expect, and it's got to be sustainable, Paul. It says you can't just do it the first year. You got to do it every year. 
So, Dom, um, you're giving practical reasons, yeah. but it's also true that you're philosophically opposed, correct, to early voting. It sounds like you are, that you want people to have more time to consider the candidates. You... I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think early voting just is not right for Connecticut because we don't have mm-hmm. full-time election officials like the other states. We have a higher voter turnout than other states with early voting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think I'm worried. I am concerned about the cost and, and the, really the chaos it will cost with our infrastructure. Imagine a those part- are the practicals. What about the idea? So the idea is, I'd rather, uh, you know, we I, I'd much rather make sure that we leverage our absentee ballot program, which can work with the right safeguards and um, and the and the controls and rigor that I would put around that. I think that's more practical than trying to have multiple places to vote at through and 169 but different. Philosophically, towns. yeah, philosophically, Do you think it makes sense to everyone except for the exceptions. Vote on the same day, at the same time, same information. I, I prefer that. I, you know, listen, that, that's a, you talk about the other states, but, you know, all of Europe votes on one day, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know. It, Back to Sal. Don't they get the day off? The, the, I don't know. Do they? Actually, Some places. If they, do, if they do, I don't know that. So I, I, I can't <laughs> I don't comment can't on that. Either. But, you know, France, you know, 77 million people vote in the national election. They hand count. They have no machines. They hand count the votes. And they have the, they have the results in two hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we always have to solve problems for Connecticut. I'm less interested in what the other states are doing than what works here, where we don't have county government and full, full-time people. That's the practical side. I, yeah, you know what? I want to make sure everyone who needs to vote can vote. We do have extremely high turnout, but I think the answer lies with absentee ballots. And by the way, any, at any time, any voter in Connecticut can go to the town clerk's office with their ID and get an absentee ballot and vote it right then and there. Right? Voter ID is another issue. Um, right. I don't quite get this. So you, you have to show an ID at the polls, but you can have a provisional ballot if, if not. Um, you're asking for a photo ID, correct? I'm asking for government ID, right? So right now you can vote with a Costco card on election mm. day, right? So with a picture and your address on it. What uh, is the concern? Because, I mean, have there been a lot of people voting with fake IDs who weren't voters? Do we you, know that? You know, it's, it's the same concern that almost 79% of all Americans have. They, they just feel it's the right thing to do uh, to, to, to explain, show who you are. And it, listen, it, it's about, you know, uh, doing everything we can to make sure our elections have the, the most integrity, the most trustworthy. You know, in 2020, half our new right here in New Haven, with what, 40 precincts we have to vote. We, everyone got mailed an absentee ballot application. We had drop boxes. Less than 48 percent of this city ter- of our registered voters turn out to vote. When you talk to people, you say, well, you know, they, in 2020 it was a big election. Right. And they, less than 48 percent voted. And they, they feel like their vote doesn't count. They just they, they think there's shenanigans going on. We have to I'm turn kind, that around. I'm kind of an outlier in this one, Dom. I look at the, what was it? Um, hundred. Um, how many people voted nationally in that election? It was like 75 oh. million for Trump and 82 million for Biden. Yeah, it was 150 million. That's a lot of people. That was a huge. And when I look at democracy. I guess I don't agree with Democrats or Republicans on this. I think it's more. Do you have the opportunity to vote? That's right. And do you have good information? And then if I see fewer people voting, I say, well, if they don't want to, that's okay. Right. If we're not, if the politicians aren't giving them a reason, that's where you fix it. Oh, my you God. Have something to vote for. Right. We need but there candidates. shouldn't be barriers. I, right. I thought it was crazy in Georgia. You can't give someone water if they're waiting four hours in the heat. But. Well, th- th- that speaks to electioneering, right? You can't, mm-hmm. give, you can't go up to somebody and, and talk to them when they're in line if you're from a political campaign. But if you're four hours in the heat and there were people staying four hours, you can't give them a thing of water. Well, you know, I if there's four hours, I don't know. I, as, if, to me, if they're not wearing a, uh, uh, you know, a Ned Lamont T-shirt, um, I'm probably okay with that. I'll be honest. Right. With you. But there's a 75-foot rule that we have to honor. 
And um, and that's that it, within 75 feet, it should not be taken four hours. But Don Rapini, we don't have the fireworks other states have in the secretary of state race where this has really become a flashpoint for the national debate over election integrity. Democrats tend to say the threat is Republicans trying to make it harder to vote and not accepting yeah. results and cheating. Republicans say the threat is that people voting who aren't allowed to. and We need more oversight and, and tighter rules so to get rid of the problem. So the first question you always have to be asked used to it is who won the 2020 presidential election? So without a doubt, Joe Biden. He won. He won that. He won the election. Um, I asked questions about the election. I studied it. And then I said, you know what? He won. And then from that point on, I've been focused about Connecticut because I know that there's things here that we can do better. Mm-hmm. We have opportunities for to really take our elections to the next level. And that's what I care about now. And then, so the, you've been hearing about tweets you had. Oh, yeah. So the tweet that really stuck with me was January 6th. You said, patriots by the thousands in D.C. fighting for what is right. Our democracy demands that we have free and fair elections. This elections be a travesty. And that was the first of a number of Donald Trump uh, tweets you retweeted saying that Dominion software was corrupted and corrupting the election. Well, what I said in that tweet right was uh, there was a rally, right, of Americans, just like we had ra- we have rallies throughout the country at all different times. And... um. And so, you know, I, I, I applaud anybody who's going to rally. And certainly, I didn't know anything about what was going on in the Capitol, right? That was like, that was a completely different thing. That was, that was a travesty, right? What happened in the Capitol that, that's later that day. Um, you know, I asked questions at the Secretary of State's office. Do we have Dominion machines here? Because at that time, I didn't know. But you were saying that Dominion, I, I look, they, they've released some where you were saying that Dominion was easy to cheat on. And, that well, few, and there so, were 2.7 million Trump votes nationwide that were encountered because of Dominion. Well, I don't know about that, that. But what I do know about is that, that when you look at the adjudication process in these county elections where they use computers instead of the tabulators we have, there's it opens big questions about the chain of custody s- scenarios. And I looked at that and I said, well, you know what? I know that's not going to happen in Connecticut now because I became an Election Day moderator, right, just like I learned this. And that doesn't happen in Connecticut because our machines are not connected to the Internet. They're based on paper ballots. Our auto trails are phenomenal. So it's good. Oh, I think our I think our the way our decentralized elections is the strength of this re, our uh, our state. And the last Trump question: Do you support Donald Trump? Do you support him if he runs well, again? Well, listen, I've supported every president, a Republican president since Ronald Reagan, and so you know. And so if he runs again, you support him? I, yeah, I'm going to vote the whoever the Republican candidate is. I'm going to vote for. All right, let's move on from Trump. We're talking to, to Don Rapini running for Secretary of State, ranked choice voting. Mm. So there's a third candidate, Cynthia Jennings, yeah. independent party, which has really morphed. That used to be a very conservative party, kind of routinely endorsed Democrats, I mean Republicans. This year, they really have a range of candidates going from right to center to left. I'm trying to figure out what that party is, but they have this line that really gets put over because there's 20,000 votes, which can make mm-hmm. the difference. Cynthia Jennings comes from the left. Yeah. And she's for ranked choice voting, which is odd to me that it, that's a left-wing position, but we'll get into that. Right. Stephanie Thomas says, I like the idea, but I'm not going to fight for bigger priorities. It would take too long. So, And where does Dom Rapini stand on ranked choice voting? So I've been, I've been studying ranked choice voting for a couple of years now because I want to understand it. And first of all, it took me a couple of years to figure it out, right, because it was, it was it's the most complex thing I've, I've, I've ever seen. And, you know, when I look at it in totality, I'm like, this is just a Ponzi scheme. And, and here's, what I, here's what I see. It is, um, it's an opportunity for marginal candidates to make a ballot. Right. And to and to get a vote. Everyone gets a everybody in, in ranked choice voting gets a vote, just like every kid in Little League gets a trophy. And the problem I have with that, uh, the problem I have with that is, you know, our our core values of our elections has been based on every voter gets one vote. Yeah, you know, not 10 votes like they did in the, in the New York primary. Right. Where 
you know, they're voting. It took them three weeks to figure out the ranked choice voting system in uh, in the, and with uh, Eric Adams. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, and this is this to me is stunning. They at the end, as they got to the final rounds, 140,000 uh, ballots and votes were thrown out because they were they had they didn't vote for any of the last round candidates. And so those people were disenfranchised. They're, well, they were counted. They just weren't counted on then deciding at the end. Yeah, well, they didn't make it to the end. You know, when I vote, it's it's in there at the end. And um, it always, it's always in at the end. And that, to me, was, that's called ballot exhaustion. That's a, a symptom of um, of ranked choice voting. It was 11,000 similar uh, were, were thrown out in, um, in Alaska just recently. But it takes, you know, I look at this as saying, you know, our, it's enough challenge to get people to the polls to get them executed on our on our our candidates, uh, and you know we have enough issues with our elections now that we do, I don't think we need a system of, of voting that requires a user manual. I mean that's just to me, you know that, I just look at it, if it's that hard and you got to figure out the independent party when they were doing their voting for the candidates they had to hand out instruction sheets to everybody so they know what they knew and what then to the do. And they just threw it out anyway. Yeah, they, they just threw it out anyway. <laughs> so, anyway. so let me push back any a little bit. I'm someone who loves ranked choice voting. Okay. But I understand that I could be totally wrong because when liberals like me tend to like an idea, it often works out different than we thought, and it ends up making the problem mm. worse, like PACs. So given that, that I don't think I'm necessarily right, I see your argument that it can make it really complicated and that the people who don't go to the seventh choice get disadvantaged when seventh choice. I, I recognize that those yeah. are downsides and that people will need to use their model. The upside, as people make and again, I could be wrong because we're wrong often about these fixed ideas, is that a lot of times people, when they feel they have to do lesser two evils, they're voting for something they don't want because they don't want to throw their vote away, right? And that we often use ranked choice voting in many ways, like at party conventions for who gets the, you know, what round to get 15%. And that with ranked choice voting, theoretically, and again, Dom, I acknowledge it's complicated and often yeah. our side thinks we like something, it makes it worse unintendedly. The, um, you can then vote for someone you want because you believe in the idea because you're not wasting your vote. If that person doesn't get enough votes, the person you want, then your vote can go for that person when it gets closer. And that it might make it a more ideas-based and less of an attack-based politics, maybe, and that we wouldn't get as much on the extremes, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like when the, the Republicans, I think, lost Georgia's Senate race because they came out against um, the ballot process and they didn't want to have absentee ballots or vote from home, you know. And it turned out that in places like Arizona, Florida, Republicans often benefited over the years. Not this last election, but they often won election because of older people who wanted to vote from home. Could ranked choice voting be something that actually helps Republicans as much as Democrats and candidates who are more thoughtful and voters who want to like feel they're yeah. no longer trying to lose their just vote between equal uh, the lesser viable people they want? So, so Paul, if I thought a system of elections would benefit one party over the other, I should be disqualified from this office. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I plan to I plan to be very non ideological in this office. Um, I'm going to leave the R at the door. And I'm trying to do things that are ba- that I think are based on logic and and based on you know research and data. So I, I apologize. I'm not going to give you. I can't cite exactly this article from MIT, but MIT did do research on the uh, if, if did ranked choice voting had, have a change in the negativity of races, and they they couldn't find any change. And um, because you know what, we're all human nature always takes over, right, Paul? <laughs> so we're we're all a bunch of knuckleheads when it comes favorite, down to favorite this. moments so far in the campaign. Trip. Yeah, you know. My favorite moment was um, a month ago in Avon, and I met a young lady and her mom and dad um, at an Italian festival, which you can imagine I go to a lot. 
And, um, and this young woman was um, partially blind. Um, she was profoundly deaf with cochlear implants. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, I, I care much about very, a great deal about people with disabilities. My mother-in-law was part of the uh, American Disabilities Act, was there for the signing and Dandro. And so mm-hmm. it's something, yeah, in, uh, in 1990, she was there in the Oval Office getting that, when that thing got signed. So it's been, you know, it's kind of been in my DNA, and she helped teach me how important it was. And so when I talked to this young lady, you know, she said, Mr. Rapini, how, how, do, I, how do I vote? And I wanted to vote by myself. Right? I want to go and vote. And, and I said, well, we know we have ballot marking devices. Um, you know, a, an election official will walk you up, show you how to use it. You put, you know, we print your ballot. You know, there's, um, you can do it on the screen. You have audible feedback, whatever, you, you know, we need. We think that can help you. Um, and then you can, we'll take it to the, um, to the, to the tent, you know, protect your privacy and bring it in. But she says, I don't want help. I'm like, wow. You know, because my next thing was going to say, how about just do absentee ballots with her mom and dad? And she goes, she wants to go to poll. My mom and dad's not always going to be there. So I want to solve problems for someone like that. I don't know the answer yet, um, but it's to make sure that our ballot marking devices are as, uh, um, you know, solve as many problems as possible. And that to me would just make, if I could just do that one thing in the next uh, eight years or two terms, man, then it'll make everything worth it. All right. Don Rapini, how do people find out more about your campaign and get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dominic4CT.us is the, uh, the the website. It's also my handle for social media, Dominic4CT. That's F-R-C-T. Uh, I'm active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And, um, I, you know, I appreciate the dialogue. I, and despite um, your concerns about Google, they can say Dominic Rapini, Secretary of State, and they're going to get to your website. I love well, like the top you, four. Well, if, if you do that, you might also get recipes for broccoli Roth. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm a big fan. Because I'm a big fan of Scott Garland. (laughs) Tom Rapini, thanks for coming on Dateline New Haven. Thank you for getting the earlier iteration of New Haven Independent Wired. Yes, that's right. And it was a real pleasure to meet you, and I really enjoyed to talk to you. I want to thank Harry Dross behind the controls. Back in action. Way to go, Harry. And always always good to you. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.